0: sequence of returns risk is simply the risk that the timing of various returns happen at moments that are less opportune or potentially more opportune to you you can't control the order in which returns are going to take place over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise, retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges of modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So
1: that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire With
0: Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. So today is all about sequence of returns
1: risk. And a lot of people are probably wondering, what does that mean? That sounds very
0: jargony, Brandon. It may sound jargony, but it is, I will tell you, probably the most confounding and potentially destructive risk you face Hmm. as a retiree, prospective retiree, hopeful retiree. You know, in, in traditional investment and finance, We learn about different types of risk, things like sector risk. So this is the risk that a certain sector may have a a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Retail, for example, um, falling into a slump. Right. Um, And so there there are various types of risk. And for the most part, risk is something you can mitigate through diversification. If you are learning about an um, investment Strategy. If, if you're, let's say, studying for a, an investment license or going for some sort of professional investment certificate education degree, when diversification comes up, risk comes up because the two are often discussed kind of hand in hand.
1: And throw in some asset allocation and. Yep. Now we've got the perfect cake.
0: Now, there are some types of risk, though, that we consider unavoidable. They effectively are not something you can get rid of through diversification. Systemic risk is the key one, because with systemic risk, we assume that all things fall together. That would be something like
1: what we saw in 2008, what happened at the beginning of the pandemic in in 2020, where you just have these sort of, a lot of people call them black, black swan events. And black swans can be systemic or not, I Mm -hmm. suppose. But when you have a lot of people talk about government debt default potential or that sort of thing, that would be a systemic risk.
0: Something that effectively ripples through the entire economy.
1: Right. Right. The banking crisis earlier this year had potential for that.
0: Yep. The other risk that really isn't something you can mitigate through diversification, at least not traditional diversification, Mm -hmm. is sequence of returns risk. The problem that the investment industry has sort of crafted or the way that it has spun this subject is the idea that these sorts of risk you really can't defeat with diversification because for the most part, the products that they have to sell you won't work to diversify out of the risk. That doesn't mean there aren't ways to diversify out of the risk. It just means that their solutions won't work. Okay. What, what specifically is sequence of returns risk? Let's yes. explain it. Sequence of returns risk is simply the risk that the timing of various returns happen at moments that are less opportune or potentially Mm. more opportune to you. Okay. So, you can't control the order in which returns are going to take place.
1: If we're looking at an example, Mm -hmm. we would just break it down. Like, let's just say we're looking at the past 20 years. Yep. What we mean by the sequence of returns is if you pick uh, an investment, let's say you pick the VOO, the VU, which is the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, right? You can look at what the return, the annual returns were year by year. And that's what we're talking about. There's a sequence to those returns because one happens every year. It's not like an interest payment. Obviously, I think everyone watching knows that, but it is a series of the returns that we, we can paste into a spreadsheet basically. And our point is, I guess the overarching point of what, what this, what this is all about is the order in which those returns happen actually matters to the average. The average won't change over that 20 year period, right? That's the correct. average will stay the same, but how those returns are distributed during that time frame matters immensely.
0: It matters. Yes, it, ma- it matters immensely to the net rate of return that you actually get. And we have a, a, a divergence in the average or, ri- or arithmetic mean versus something that we would refer to as the geometric mean of, right. of a set of numbers. Right. So we may have a situation where we could calculate an identical average rate of return for a series of, of numbers for a series of rate of return over 20 year period. But the Order in which those returns take place changes the actual result in terms of ending balance. Right. right. So, a $100,000 investment that faces various rates of return year over year changes depending on when exactly those rates of return materialize positive years tend to accumulate at the beginning of a 10 or 20 year period Mm -hmm. and negative returns come later, we're going to have a different result at the end of that, let's say, 20 year period than if the negative results come first and the positive results come later. And even more tricky here is that it depends what we're doing with the money to have an overall impact on the net result. If we are just accumulating, then the order differs in terms of its uh, effect on on actual account balance at the end right v- Than if we are distributing so right right if our intentions are to put $100,000 into an investment account and let it grow as much as possible over a 20 year period mm-hmm. the best thing that could happen to us realistically if we have to have some years that are good and some years that are bad is for our bad years to be very early and our good years to be later on if we are trying to distribute money from this. We want the exact reverse to take place. So you're retired. You got
1: this pot of money and now you're going to start taking an income from mm-hmm. it each year. The sequence of returns risk becomes way more important.
0: Yes, it does. So we have to be mindful of the fact that the timing of certain results is going to have an impact on what we can actually accumulate for account balance, and what we may ultimately be able to do with the money. We could walk through an example of the exact same average rate of return taking place over a 20-year period. We could assume an income scenario, and if our really good return years happen early on, we're going to be fine. Yeah. If our really bad return years happen very early on, there's a good chance we run out of money. It's a great time to talk numbers, but it's hard to do it in this (laughs) format. So... As a case in point, um, let's say million dollar initial investment. Right. We're gonna take five fifty thousand dollars out of it every year for income. So five percent of the balance. Yeah. Of the of the opening balance. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Which, you know, there's all sorts of different discussion on what the right number is. For years it was four. More recent years we've talked about increasing it because there's some 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 conditions in the market that would be conducive to that. So and decreasing. I've heard yep. both. Yep. It's gone in both directions. But let's just take 5% out of this every right. year. Right. And and running through a, a a bunch of different possible randomized rates of return that mimic the market um, with an overall average of like 6.8, 6.85. Mm-hmm. So what we see if if we get a couple of really solid years in the beginning, like uh, Mm -hmm. up 15, up 20% type situation. Even if we have really bad years at the end of this 20-year period, like negative 15, negative 35, we still end this 20-year period with over a million dollars of account balance left over. So we could effectively do the same thing again if the market repeats this trend for another 20 years. This is great. We've taken 5% out. So we've we've distributed a million dollars from this. Mm -hmm. And we still have about one point one million, yeah, even though we've been through years where we've gotten uh, good rates of return, like twenty, thirty percent. And we've also had some years where we've gone down, like thirty percent in the scenario, right,
1: right. So we're doing just fine, but the different the difference is you had three years at the very beginning, yep. of this sequence of twenty years that were wonderfully positive double digit That's- return positive.
0: So if we take this same scenario and all we do is we flip the the rates of return. What was year 1 becomes year 20 and what was year 20 becomes right. year 1. We now have some bad years happening very early on. And what happens in this scenario is we run out of money. We run out of money in year 19. You can't
1: distribute any more income because there's no money left. Correct. But what the tricky part of this is is the average return over that time is the same in Still both same. sequences. Still exactly the
0: same. What matters is when the actual bad and good years took place. And this is something you cannot control when it comes to being a an investor, being a retiree. The bad years are going to come when the bad years come. It's
1: kind of insidious because here in the United States, I'm going to go off on a tangent. It has nothing to do with this, but but it is. And I'll bring it back. We're so conditioned to averages because we grow up going to school. Where we're graded and the grade that we have to take home to our parents at the end of the period is your average, right? Well, they didn't have to see all the at least for me, now things are a little different, but they didn't have to see all the carnage that took place to get me there to that B. They they don't they didn't have to know that I had an F at one time and and I really worked my way up to the B. But my point is that we're conditioned to view averages, accept averages, and see the the see things numerically through average returns and the problem when we're bringing this back to to what we're talking about here the problem with that when you're applying what investment companies or websites or whatever give you for average rates of return on particular investments over time is we look at that in the same through that same lens that we've been conditioned and the issue is that doesn't translate into absolute dollars in your pocket. You can't spend averages. Nobody cares what your average return is. We only care about the amount of money you have in your account and your ability to support yourself in retirement. That's yep. why sequence of return matters. That's why we're talking about this, because you can have the same average and still run out of money. And that doesn't even compute for most people. No, it doesn't. And... In school, a 92 average was an A. And if <laughs> Jack got a 92 and Bob got a 92. They both had A's.
0: It's a very good point. And we see a lot of people obsessing over rate of return.
1: Right. Average, average rate of return.
0: Yes. A lot of financial advisors obsessing over rate of return. And we see a lot of discussions about what is a good or bad investment based on rate of return. Yes. Like you should or you shouldn't buy this because the rate of return is good or bad. We, for a very long time, have advocated... For the, the position that rate of return is not that important. I'm mean, not saying it's it's totally right. it's not unimportant. Yeah. But it's it is it plays at times a secondary role to the strategy because we have to temper it with the the result we are getting. And people in retirement doing distribution have some intuitiveness towards this because most of them don't spend a ton of time obsessing over their rate of return. Most custodians will or yeah uh, will will look at or rather report the rate of return you're getting on your portfolio you can log into your account and you can look. It's mostly at, a, a work
1: of fiction, but yes.
0: Yep. You can log into your account, and you it'll tell you what your rate of return is this year, uh, over a one year period, over a three year period. And I like that a lot it takes of,
1: out all the positions I sold and don't have anymore that I lost well, there, money on. So there is that. There is
0: that for <laughs> sure. And and there are a lot of things that you have to think about right. that most people are going to skip when they look at
1: it. And, yeah.
0: and and there are even some, some companies that will give you your rate of return against the market. It's funny that those companies also sell investment advisory services. And I think sure. that's one of their subtle ways of trying to nudge you into that direction. Right. But that all exists. And people look at that and sometimes obsess about it. But I do believe that there are people in the distribution phase of their life who do instinctively get to a point where they look at this and they go – yeah, but I have more or less money. They're not really sure what's going on, but something isn't right when it comes to the, the obsessive rate of return discussion. Now, there's something even more insidious here that that isn't necessarily a sequence of returns issue, mm-hmm. but this is worthwhile discussing in the context of this, this scenario that we ran through with the 20 years and having a million dollars at the end of 20 years versus having zero dollars at the end of 20 years. It's the way that we typically model this stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when we model these things, what we traditionally do is we take we take rate of return numbers and we treat this as if it's just accumulating interest. So if you're up 20%, we add 20% to the number, like 20% interest added to an account balance. Right. And if you're down 15%, we deduct 15%, like somebody just magically took exactly 15% from you. But that's not how market investments work. Market investments rate of return is a, a computed equivalency to it. I think years ago on on the Investopedia website, may still be there, there was a, a comment that um, things like compound annual growth rate are fictitious sort of figures that right. give you a... They've since a, corrected it,
1: but they did, it did used to say that, yes.
0: ...an equivalency of rate of return. And they're not totally incorrect with that statement, by the way, because in truth, when you are invested in the market, rate of return is entirely dependent on the value of the shares that you own. So if the value of those shares goes up, that's great. If you're selling shares to distribute to to create income, you now get to sell fewer shares to create the same amount of income. Right. But the inverse is also true. So if the value of those shares goes down, you now have to sell more shares in order to raise the income that you need. And if you have to sell more shares, that makes the ability to recoup a loss astronomically more difficult. So what is not present in a lot of these hypothetical scenarios that get run where we just take interest rates and assume that it's, it's going to work continuously forever yep. is the fact that we may be selling shares at a deep, deep discount which means our ability to bounce back isn't as good so the chance that we run out of money comes much faster actually
1: much faster than we can illustrate in any sort of meaningful way correct yeah correct and i've not i've not seen anything that really accounts for that to be honest with you
0: not in a manipulatable way. Like, there are some ways that you can look at historical results of an actual investment and see how it would have happened in real real right. life. But in order to go back and say, well, what if? What if that year didn't happen that way? That, no, we don't really have the ability to do that with fine-tuned numbers that wouldn't take an astronomical amount of, of manual labor um, inputting yeah. numbers into a spreadsheet. Now, sequence of returns risk can happen in other ways that are even more subtle than this. And it, it has a lot to do with the timing of, of when you start an investment, mm-hmm. which again, you don't have much control over. The year that you turn 22, graduate from college, and start a 401k is the year you turn 22, graduate college, start a 401k. <laughs> That's so, true. If that's a good year, it's a good year. If it's a bad year, it's a bad year. And there's no control well, over over how that 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 works out. We're
1: both sitting here together. This is a good example. I'm pretty sure that the first year that I would have started my 401k was significantly better than the year that you started your 401k. With the caveat, yeah, that when I first started my 401k, it would have been better had I completely liquidated it like 2 years after that. So, <laughs> cuz mine was in 99. Yeah. I could have caught Part of the swell, and then got totally crushed, like yep. a year later. For you, actually, you would have been buying at the bottom, probably. Yeah, right. I, I,
0: I graduated <laughs> into a recession, so
1: <laughs> that's totally anecdotal. But I'm just saying, it's as arbitrary as it is. We got two people sitting right here who would have vastly different outcomes had we done exactly the same thing um, at different times.
0: And now comes the time of the episode where we do something we've been we've been renowned for for over a decade, and we talk a lot of numbers in a in a format that's not all that conducive to numbers
1: well now we got video but we we got to figure out how to drop the numbers on the screen <laughs> part and just bear with us we're figuring this out
0: so yeah so i ran a, a hypothetical to illustrate this point and um oh well, i say hypothetical Th- these are real numbers these are real market return numbers okay using a real investment option mm. um I, I'm going to use a closed-end fund, the Reeves Utility Fund, um, not because I think it's the best fund in the world, but it's one that has lots of data behind it that I can I can go back historically and, and pull. Um, and it's, it's it's a good fund. It's it's a good fund for somebody looking to build a an income portfolio. We're going to look at a $100,000 investment, just a $100,000 lump sum put in. And we're going to look at that investment starting in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. Okay. And we're going to look at the results that we achieved through the end of 2022. Just with different start dates. Yep. Start okay. different start dates. So if we began that investment in two thousand seven. Hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand bucks. Okay. And we just let it ride. So we're gonna reinvest dividends. So we're gonna buy more shares over this entire period. And we're gonna see what what our ending account balance is, rate of return is, and we're gonna also look at the 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 payable dividends in aggregate for the year at the end of twenty twenty two. Okay. So and this this pays monthly dividends, correct? Yes, it does. It does pay monthly dividends. So we start this this investment in 2007. By 2022, we will have accumulated $356,555. Okay. That's what all all dividends reinvested. All dividends reinvested. Okay. For those who like to keep score, the calculated rate of return on that, 8.27%. Okay. So pretty good because 8% is generally the number we target for something like a passive investment in the the S&P 500. Yep. For the year of 2022, and only 2022, so it would have been this amount, give or uh, take, uh, in 2021. But for 2022, aggregate dividends paid through the year total twenty-seven thousand five hundred eighty-four dollars. Really cool thing with this is not only do we have three hundred fifty-six thousand bucks, but we've also got the ability to generate twenty-seven, almost twenty-eight thousand dollars of income.
1: Right. That Without- right
0: now is just being reinvested.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say you could you can generate the
0: $27,000 without selling shares. We didn't make the investment in 2007, instead we made the investment in 2008. Okay. And by 2022, we now have $314,799. Again, to keep track, 7.94% rate of return, still pretty good. Annual dividend for 2022, $24,354. Now, it's at this point that most people would make the incorrect assumption the difference in the numbers mm-hmm. is simply a function of waiting one year. Right. We lost a year. Time lost cannot be regained. The cost of waiting, Brandon. And 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 this is our our reality. But let's fast forward one more year and see if you still have that that belief. Right. So now we're going to make the investment in two thousand nine, two thousand nine to twenty twenty two. Right. And at the end of twenty twenty two, our account balance is six hundred and twenty one thousand one hundred and sixty four dollars. That sounds like twice as much. That sounds like a lot more. (laughs) Despite two fewer years than the 2007 investment. Yeah. Again, for those who really care about rate of return, 13.94% year over year. Mm -hmm. And the annual dividend payable in 2022, $48,055.
1: Exact same investment. Exact same exact same amount of money. Different, just one year difference.
0: One year difference from the 2008, two years from the 2007, yeah. and the only difference that, that that impacts all of this is the fact that we were buying at a different time when the value of the shares was different. Right. Let's go forward to 2010. Things start to normalize again. So by 2022, we have 354,150 bucks. Rate of return 10.22%. Dividends payable in 2022 27,398 dollars. Right. What's the big takeaway? You should probably wait three years to make whatever investment you're thinking of (laughs) because it doesn't seem to matter. (laughs) You ended up in exactly the same place. Yep. This is what sequence of returns risk does. Right. The fact that you are buying at different times and there are different values behind the shares per share price dramatically changes the results that you get. Right. Sometimes for good, sometimes for worse. Not that you can do anything about that. You cannot. I mean, you... You've got
1: the money you've got when you got it. So this is why you have to also consider other alternatives. If you're looking for a comfortable, stable retirement income, Mm -hmm. you just, you just cannot have all of your money invested and be in the market and be completely dependent upon taking a set percentage following the, the three percent rule, the four percent rule, the five—I don't care what you call it—and just statically taking money out of your account and expecting that that's going to work out over time, we don't believe it works. We believe it works on paper if you if you we just showed <laughs> it works on paper if you manipulate the numbers exactly the way that you want and then go see it works.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, if I want to sell you on on buying the the Reeves Utility Fund, I'll just use two thousand nine to twenty twenty two and show you how magical it is. Right, exactly. And we'll ignore all the other years and and. <laughs> Yes. That'll be good. What is the diversification play here? There's a couple different ways you can approach this. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the fact that that maybe it makes sense to strategically place your investment. Mm-hmm. So if you're going into something like a closed-end fund, you get familiar with what yields typically are, right. what typical price levels are right you look for buying opportunities right so you don't buy the fund on the day that it's up two percent for the day right if it's got a typical yield of six and a half percent not a good time to buy when the current yield calculated is seven right or excuse me you're just making uh, five you're
1: just making the point that there's a lot more involved to that strategy it's a viable strategy but now you've got to educate yourself and figure out what your metrics are right and monitor and
0: there's And there's a lot of things afoot here, like uh, is it a good opportunity for all sorts of other things that impact these sorts of investments? Mm -hmm. Where are interest rates? What are the alternatives? Why are they they unfolding? This particular fund right here, if you were to look at it for this year, it doesn't look very good because it's come down considerably in price per share. Could be a great buying opportunity. But the reason it got hammered so hardly is because lots of people looked at this. They also looked at treasuries and said, "Eh, treasuries are safer. So that's where the money flowed. Or alternatively to all of this is you just start buying other types of of financial tools that don't have near as much market risk or exposure. And they exist. There are things that are not nearly as tied to the stock market as the stock market or bonds, which are very tightly correlated to the stock market. Even Uh, though they try to tell you they're not. Yeah, Yeah. these are things like annuities. These are things like certain types of life insurance. This could be real estate. There are other places that you can go that are not going to move with the market.
1: Yeah, my answer for true diversification is, is get out of the box of thinking of it in terms of asset allocation, which is what the investment industry will try to sell you. Well, you should have some small cap and some mid cap and some large cap and some bonds and some, you know, and then broken down by subcategories within those and think completely non-correlated. I mean, I, I, I go like, you know, well, maybe instead of having all stocks and bonds, you should have some stocks, some bonds. Maybe you should own some property where you can harvest the timber. Maybe you got a chance to pick up a house in the neighborhood that's been neglected that you can flip. Um, I just try to think of all the various, if you're Brandon, you're like I, an ice cream stand. That's That's going to happen. Um, and a laundromat and a laundromat if you can combine the two even better I mean, who doesn't want ice cream when they're <laughs> doing their laundry well you have one company buy the building and then the other two companies lease space from that and then, exactly. you know, so that's the kind of thinking that i when i th- when i think diversification i think let's go completely outside and and let's look at things that are not connected to each other in any particular way
0: you are not going to find true diversification inside mutual funds no
1: you absolutely will not and like you know for years i was taught and i'm pretty sure you were too and back in the days when we got our securities licenses years ago um which we no longer have by the way so
0: nothing we say is true <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're not or, in the club or, anymore so yeah actually that means we can actually tell the truth now without scrutiny From company attorneys, the underlying thing that we all learned was that stocks and bonds are inversely correlated. So that's why you buy bonds because typically bonds go well. I mean, even when I got in the business, which was in the early 2000s, that hadn't actually been true for like 25 years. We were like in the middle of the longest bond bull run in the history of the universe. People who bought bonds in the in the 80s, 90s, 2000s did nothing but watch them go up. We had a very skewed perspective, and and when you know we had 2008 we had 2020 we had last year 2022 we saw bonds get hammered completely yep. hammered so um as 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 well as watching stocks fall equities fall yeah so it doesn't actually work the way they tell you it does it does on no. paper there's too yeah. much money i think we we have to sort of adjust our thought process about markets anymore public markets i mean um and that there's just too much money flowing into the market constantly now, that things don't behave the way they they always should fundamentally, or the way that we we learned that they did because of all the four oh one K money. There's just a constant inflow of cash.
0: Which helps prop up price.
1: And can make it overreact to the extreme in one way or yeah. the other.
0: The timing of these things is critically important. Mm-hmm. And yet there's no way to control when exactly it takes place. Right. So, the best strategy beyond just diversifying asset holdings is figuring out what the goal is and what what you need to do to accomplish that. Right. So, if you are trying to prepare for retirement, I'm going to argue very forcefully that income is your primary goal. Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing that that I, I didn't mention about this this uh, closed end fund scenario that we just ran through. Right. So. There's lots of different results that we get. One of them is like stellar and the other three are all good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like nobody would be upset with an 8% CAGR. Right. And nobody should be upset with a 300 plus thousand dollar position that spits out $25,000 of cash every year. Right. That's a phenomenal yield. Right. And. Under four different scenarios with dramatically different market results, we get to the end of a of a uh, uh, how many how many years is that close to 12, <laughs> um, 15, 15 to twelve. Yes. And in every single scenario, we have the ability to generate income, mm-hmm. and the income that was being generated throughout the the time frame continuously increased as dividends got reinvested. It right. didn't jump all over the place. Nope. Now the account balance went all. I mean all kinds of different directions. And if you were constantly looking at the account balance, it can get very scary yeah. and you could do some dumb
1: things. You, you probably had in the, I would guess in that time frame in the, if, especially the 2007 starting date, you yep. probably had a 50 plus percent drawdown at some
0: point, right? Uh, probably. Yeah. And I can tell you that there were, were most definitely a, a point where your hundred thousand dollar investment looked a whole lot less than a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And it's hard to keep the faith in those moments.
1: Yeah. But it's a lot easier when the income keeps falling just keeps precisely, rolling in
0: precisely so if you look at this as i'm buying income that's what i'm trying to do or i know you like to use the term i'm buying income units right that i think it helps ground yeah the strategy a little bit better right
1: for a lot of people I actually i actually think your entire retirement income plan should mm-hmm. be about buying income units generically Wh- however you want to look at that we, yeah. we got to get away from this this world of we're focused on accumulation until the day we retire, and now we're going to figure out income. That's completely crazy to me that we do it's it that way. as you go. I mean, that's what you and I do personally. We're trying to retire ourselves before we're retirement age, in the sense that, <laughs> not in the sense that we're going to quit working, but in the sense that we have enough income that comes in that's not earned income per se. Um, I'm not going to use the P word because I hate it. Um, but we have income that comes in through our income units and all of the various things that we've bought over the years, and theoretically, we could retire at any point.
0: Yeah, we don't need to earn more income to to live. It's a great position to be in. It's a great thing to aspire to, and it's it's the one thing the fire movement got very right. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, to to lean on the fact that we. We want to be in a position where we have the ability to generate income so that we get to do the things we want to do and not have to worry so much about the things we don't want to do. Right. That's yeah. a very freeing moment yep. for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't start the day after you retire. It has to start years in advance. Otherwise, you don't really have any kind of plan and you don't really know. We we didn't take notes on this, but you and I, as we were discussing this, this closed-end fund scenario here, uh, just yesterday, we we looked at well, what happens if you took the same hundred thousand dollars and you just put it in something like the SPY or the VOO? Um, and what happens is you end up with a similar account balance. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, the the closed end fund actually had a higher account balance, right? But the stark difference is is the income. Mm-hmm. The dividends payable in twenty twenty two were something like eight thousand dollars, yeah, which isn't even close, right? And so even in 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 the
1: worst case scenario, I think that's like it's it's a third.
0: And so the ability to take that that lump sum of money at 2022 and buy something like this. Yeah, that that's there. But you won't be able to create the same amount of dividend income. You need a rate of return substantially higher. In order to buy up enough at this point to create the same amount of income, yep. so this is why we lean heavy on the idea that you got to have a strategy in advance. And there's there's other things beyond closed-end funds. Oh yeah, that for sure. You can use it's just an easy example
1: where people can see what we're doing, like the with the lots math. of historical yeah, data. Exactly. Yep.
0: Sequence of returns risk is not obliterated with this, right? You are in many respects reducing the impact that it has on you, sure, because again. We we looked at four different scenarios, and there's there's one outlier, but the other three remain pretty close to one another. There's nothing life changing about twenty seven five 24354 four three fifty four, and 27398 three ninety eight in terms of annual income generated. Right. Nor is there anything life changing about three hundred fifty six thousand, three hundred fourteen thousand, or three hundred fifty four thousand dollars. Right. Um. Uh, the outlier that was a little different, but the the other possible scenarios there, which could all theoretically be entry points for you. It all works out pretty similarly Mm -hmm. under different market conditions. Income planning started early and often because sequence of returns risk can seriously upend your income plans. And if you come flying into retirement on a wing and a prayer, sequence of returns risk could really, really take you down.